Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. everybody and welcome back to the second part of the WFI Italia 90 podcast. On part one we had just left it uh, after discussing West Germany uh, versus the Netherlands. Uh, on the pod we have as always Armando Angulo who actually had to leave during this part that went on so long. Uh, Dave Hendrick, John Henderson and myself Dave Caron. Uh, as I say we'll get straight back into it again with, without delay. Um, we're still discussing the round of 16 and I hope you very much enjoy it and thank you for listening. Well, listen, we'll move on. There was another comedy moment in, in, in the next quarterfinal, which was uh, Colombia-Cameroon, an extra time, as, as we spoke about. Uh, Higita went walk about to the halfway line, and Roger Mila caught him out. And Dave, John, Roger Mila, what age is he? Or what age was he? Does anybody even know? I think he was born about a fortnight before God. Um, <laughs> he, he's, he's another one, like, we were talking about, like, these guys that came out of nowhere to become stars, and he's the other one. Like it's Gaza, Goikachea, and him. Like and and for him. oh, and bad, yeah. He, but, oh, can't but, forget Baggio, Dave. <laughs> but, uh, but like he, like for him, it was the goals, obviously. But it was the dance as well, and it just like there was it can help create a real kind of party atmosphere at the games. Everybody, like if you go out, you you. You'd watch the game on the TV. You'd go out and you'd play with your friends, and they'd be putting out corner flags. I mean, what are you doing with that? Oh, because when I score, I'm going to go over and do the Roger. <laughs> and like, it's, it was just crazy. And for for years afterwards, like lads that I played football with, when they scored, would do the Mia dance, and they'd be like, "What on earth are you doing?" And then obviously in '94 he came back and he scored again. 
But uh, like, I, I actually genuinely would love to know how old he actually is. Because well, they say he was 38, Dave. Was it 38 he was officially during that tournament? 38. Yes. And then, 38. And, but there was, report, there, was, there was reports he was in his mid-40s. Yeah, well believed. Well believed. There's always this question with African players. Even today, there's there's question marks over African players and age and, and birth registration and so on. Um, I, I think is the is the earliest recorded professional game he'd played was 20 years before that. Like 20 years before of grafting away playing for your national team for like 17 years before that, and all of a sudden, at whatever age he was, late 30s, early 40s just been kind of catapulted onto this world stage like it must have been an incredible thing for him and like his teammates and that to to get this recognition and come out of nowhere to become like one of the superstars of the game not in terms of talent but in terms of you know an iconic moment in in football history well everybody knew him Dave you know, he, his, his name was on the lips of the world, and and he did it. You know, it was a, it was a big sort of toothless smile, as you say, the wee shimmy in the corner flag. He caught. You know, there wasn't that many players at the World Cup who were really sort of. You know, there was Gaza and 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 Hagita, and and the other one would be Mila, and and there wasn't really the characters that we used to associate with football. They were starting to die out, and these were sort of the last. And, and Maradona to an extent, but Maradona had a talent in abundance. And I think that's really the big difference. And isn't it the great thing about football too, Dave, where, you know, sometimes big names go to a tournament and they just don't perform for whatever reason. They don't deliver. And all of a sudden, somebody who's a complete unknown just seizes the the moment and they just, everything goes right for them. And I think that was one of those things with Roger Miller in that tournament, you know, everything he did and, the fact that he, the age he was, and the, as you say, the way he looked with, with a toothless grin and the, the dance he had, it was, it, it was, it was an iconic. You know, it was iconic. And uh, yes, Dave said it was that bit of, it, it brought, he brought that bit of crack with him, didn't he? That bit of fun to the, uh, the World Cup, the, the Cameroon team. They, they were definitely the, they were the, the big surprise of that, of that tournament, and it was. Some great entertainment and, from there. And they games. probably should have beaten England as well. Yeah. Oh, the, I think we yeah. should have. The, 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 it was that, I don't think it was, it was a, the first or the second penalty was really dubious. Yeah, was given. I remember there was one of them. But there, there again, was there was quite a lot. It was Gary Lineker was just a bit too streetwise for them, wasn't he? He was, mm. he was cute enough to get his body in the front and, and take the foul. And they were just a bit naive in the end. You know they defended a bit naively, but well, here you're talking about talking 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 about a bit of theatre, and I want to I want to talk this before we go into the quarterfinals. Jurgen Klinsmann and his diving. You know, maybe the you know our younger listeners may know him as the coach of the USA national team, but believe me, he should be t- part of the synchronized diving team. Terrible, because this guy, Terrible. like I mean, whatever whatever you think of Ashley Young as a footballer today, Jurgen Klinsmann multiplied by at least twenty thousand because this guy was just a lunatic. But what I loved about it was how he kind of embraced it. Like when he when he went to Spurs and turned up wearing the swimming goggles at a press conference because everybody was saying <laughs> that they've signed the great diver. Like, but yeah. like it, it's it's the same thing, um, Dave. It's what you were just saying about Lineker. He was so street smart, and he understood the kind of the intricacies of the game. And a lot of times it was wasn't so much. Well, yeah, a lot of times it was just blatant diving. Like there's no other way to describe it, but 
oftentimes he would just exaggerate contact or he would run across the path of defenders, get a little clip, and then roll for about eight yards while screaming <laughs> in agony before b- bouncing up when the free kick had been given and trotting into the box to wait for the free kick to come in. But he w- he was like, it's kind of been lost how good a player he was. Oh, Dave, it wasn't it just, I mean, what a player. For technique, see especially oh. for, vo- for volleying a football, that yeah. guy was, he was out of his own. There's a goal oh, I'll never I'll never forget his first goal for Spurs against Sheffield Wednesday. That's right. And uh, it's yeah. it in terms of how to find space in the penalty area, it's what every young kid who wants to be a striker should watch. He's being marked by Des Walker, who's still a very good defender at the time, and the ball is coming down the Spurs right. He's in the box. He takes one step towards the towards the player with the ball. Defender goes with him and he takes three steps backwards and, and just creates this nice patch of space for himself. Cross comes in and it's an absolute bullet header into the top corner. And I remember watching it back and they were like match of the day were just blown away by this movement. Like, oh God, a striker who doesn't just stand still. And they played it over and over and over again. And then obviously he, he, he started doing the dive as the celebration as well. Which again, like I think he kind of shattered a lot of the sort of illusions about Germans not having personalities and being boring. I think like he used to drive a, an old beat up VW Beetle and like had, had all the, had like a quirky dress sense and all sorts. And obviously Armando now knows him as the coach of the US team for you know positive and negative reasons. But he was such an incredible player. He was. He was. He was a fantastic footballer, and he had that really unique okay. running style as well. Like, remember that real high kicking style? Yeah, yeah. So strange. He always so... looked like he was at full pelt, didn't he? Back mm. the way he ran, always looked like he was full pelt. But but he sort of went on a charm offensive whenever he arrived in Spurs. You know, with with the English media, and and you know, at that time we loved him. Yeah, you know, we uh, in England he was loved. You know. I think, Dave, you hit the nail on the head. He was able to laugh at himself. And, you know, the great British public love someone with a sense of humour, especially when they're laughing at themselves. Yeah. And especially for a German to do that, you know, in, in, in the English sort of way of thinking, that was completely unheard of. So he was very clever as well in endearing himself to, to the public whenever he arrived in, in, in the UK. But he was a fantastic player. If he had just to cut that nonsense, and, and as you say, rolling for eight to ten yards, it was, it was diabolical. But listen, we'll move on in. I'll get into the semis, or the quarters. Um, you can't, you can't leave out David Platt's volley. We have to mention that. Far ahead. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to say, what the game itself, was. it wasn't a classic, but I think there was there was a moment of genius in it. Gascoigne's ball over the top, and it came over the top of David Platt's head, and he just sort of did this, like, hooped volley, deep into extra time, right over the keeper into the, the far top corner. Um which was, for me, that was one of the moments of the World Cup. Mm. Um, that, that Platt goal, it was absolutely brilliant. And David Platt was like that. You'd watch him in a game in midfield, and he wasn't the best. He, he wasn't exactly two-footed. He wasn't a particularly great uh, passer of the ball. But there, there was there was few players better than David Platt at just arriving in the box, time on the run. And when he used, when he got there, he was a, he was a wonderful finisher as well. Um, he scored like a lot a, of goals. A bit like... 
Frank Lampard later on. Like, yeah. Lampard had a bit more ability, a bit more about him in terms of general play. But just that ability to time his run and and literally appear from nowhere and just find this small pocket of space. Um, And and Dave, didn't he have the world record at the time for cumulative transfer fees? I think there was one point where David Platt, because he went, uh, it was Barry, then he went to, to Sampdoria. Uh, and he had a number of moves, and I think there was one point and he where in the history the of football, well. went to Juventus. In the history of football, no player had gone for as much money. I think it was teams. when Arsenal bought him. I think that pushed yeah, him over. Yeah, he broke the record, didn't he? Yeah. yeah, and like the thing is, like people, a lot of people obviously won't remember him because you know he's he's retired a long time now. He's re- retired about fifteen years, and he hasn't wasn't really a relevant player after about ninety eight, but. Like when when Arsenal signed him in '95, it was a huge deal that you know this guy was coming back. But like he was one because like, we were as we were saying earlier, we didn't really have access to watching a lot of even English football back then um, on mm. television. You had match of the day, obviously, so we didn't really know who a lot of these players were. But David Platt was coming off back to back seasons of scoring 19 goals in the league from midfield. If a player. Of. Yeah, if a player did that now, they'd be moving for 40 or 50 million. You know, I mean, Aaron Ramsey had that one good season a couple of years ago where he was good for about 20 games. And all of a sudden people were saying he was worth 40, 50 million. You know, Platt did that for two consecutive years. And a couple of years before that, I know it was much lower division, but for Crewe, as a young player, he'd scored 22 goals for midfield. So he was a proven goal, like an actual goal scoring midfielder, didn't do a lot else. But that goal was just the definition of what he did. And as as you said, John, the definition of Gaza with the genius pass. Yeah, what a ball. They just chipped it into him. Few players could have play, played that pass. Very few. Uh, all right, guys, we're going to move on into the quarterfinals and we're going to uh, discuss uh, the, the four matchups there. Uh, I want to start off with the England-Cameroon game because uh, that, that seemed to be the most suspenseful game. So, uh, Mr. Karen, if you care to uh, give me your thoughts on that matchup. Well, it was a game that that by that stage, you know, I I'd sort of bought into England. I, I never do in a tournament, but but they hadn't pressed me. There was a decent squad. There was a, enough of a representation from the club of support to, to 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 follow them. And you know, I was sort of secretly hoping that you know they would go the distance. But then they came, they came up against Cameroon, and Cameroon put up a performance. You know, we said it earlier. They could have won and, and, and maybe should have won. And, uh, you know, it, it took extra time to, to, to actually get to get the game done. And really and truly, you know, there was a du- couple of dubious penalties, one at least dubious, um, dubious by today's standards, let's say. And, and really, Cameroon, I think, just, just, just had gone the distance that they could. Uh, Roger Mila was still scoring. Um, he was still dancing in the corner flags. And I think that was the point for me that I really wanted to see that continue. I wanted to see how far this guy could go because he really did capture my imagination at that time. And I think I speak maybe for, for, for anybody who, who was watching it. You know, this was the guy, this was the name on everyone's lips. And from, from wanting to go to England, from, from, from wanting England to go through, I, I suddenly went to, to be quite happy if, if, if Cameroon went through. And, you know, because it was the first African nation to ever, ever get that distance. It was something new. It was something fresh. The whole tournament had a sort of freshness about it. And, and for me, that, that was it. It wasn't probably one of the greatest games you'll ever see. But at the end of the day, it, it was suspenseful. 
Absolutely. How about you, John? What are your memories of that matchup? Yeah, my memories are, are I can't say, even though there was a lot of Liverpool players, I'm Irish, like I wanted England freaking to lose, <laughs> especially when they were playing Cameroon. <laughs> um, you know, um, and I just remember the game. Yeah, yeah, they got themselves in front. Um, but as Dave said, England, England were a really good team. You know, they they had so much quality. I mean, Chris Waddle was a he was about to become a top European player. You know, with, with Marseille, Peter Beardsley was was a genius of a footballer. You had Gaza, you had Gary Lineker, who was a as good a penalty box poacher that's probably ever played the game probably alongside someone like Gerd Muller um, so they had, they had an excellent side and, and obviously the great John Barnes as well although I think Barnes uh, picked up an injury in, in, in this game and I just remember it was the streetwise England just had that little bit uh, they were just a bit too streetwise for them Lineker won a couple of couple of penalties and typical Lineker he was very calm and he, he stuck the uh, he stuck the two of them away but Cameroon were it was sad to see them go out because, you know, they beat Argentina in that first game when that Bayek had that big, famous leap and leapt like a salmon for that header that beat Argentina. So they were the real story of the tournament. But ultimately, England just had the quality and probably just more the game management, the experience to see them off. But but it was a good game. I think the standard in the game wouldn't have been brilliant. There was a lot of errors, uh, but, it, but I, I remember watching it and it was exciting. It was an edge of the seat game, a real, a real good end-to-end match. That's what I remember from that one. Right on. And how about you, Mr. Hendrick? What are your thoughts? Who, what side of the fence were you sitting on for that matchup? Yeah, I was the same as John. I wanted England to lose um, because <laughs> because I'm Irish. I want England to lose every game. Um, but they did. Like they had, as as Dave said, they had a really strong squad. Um, you know, throughout, you know, good good goalkeepers, good defenders. John just mentioned some of the midfielders. I mean, Chris Waddle, like, it, you know, do you remember years ago people would be described as a swashbuckling winger? And that's what he was. He was, like, he was quite a big physical guy, but he just had this wonderful balance with the ball, similar enough to what Gaza had, where he could just weave with the ball. He, you couldn't knock him off it. He had a thunderbolt of a shot with both feet. Incredibly the best talented step player. over, Dave. He had the oh. best step over. His step over was, and he you, know, you would, see Ronaldo send, do it now, but yeah, yeah, he would send defenders just clean out of his way, um, yes. just with a step over, a little drop of the shoulder. Beardsley obviously was just a, a pleasure to watch. Still, you know, one of the best players. To, if you can find videos of Peter Beardsley, just fantastic. Like, and um, and and it all was built around getting the ball to Lineker because he was just clinical. And he didn't need much of a chance. You know, he was just that good. And he's the greatest English goal scorer ever, in my view, after Jimmy Greaves. Um, and whether or not, you know, Rooney has the record is totally irrelevant to me. He'll never be a Pat John Lineker because Lineker did it in World Cups, um, whereas Rooney has, you know, shit the bed in, in World Cups on multiple <laughs> occasions. Um, yeah. But this this game here was just all about England having the, the, the nouse and the Cameroonians just kind of panicking on the, the biggest stage because the pressure was actually got got on them at this point, you know, because they went into the World Cup quarterfinal, you know, and people start to expect things from you. And obviously, they could have won this game. They were they had you know position to win this game, and they they choked. Now Lineker took advantage of 
their naivety defensively. Robson, Bobby Robson's one of the most underappreciated managers in in history. He was, you know, here, 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 just fantastic. And I think a lot of people kind of dismiss how good of a tactical mind he was because he was that kindly old grandfather and he was a bit forgetful and you know there's one brilliant Bobby Robson story where I remember when he was manager in Newcastle and Shola Amiobi was been interviewed and they said well like what's your name he's like oh Shola Amiobi what's your nickname oh I don't have one I'm just Shola and they're like all right well what does Bobby Robson call you and he looked at the camera and he just went Carol Court and it was kind of defined <laughs> <laughs> Kind of defined that, like, he just oh, he didn't know the players' names. We didn't need to know them. He just knew football, and nobody has gotten England as close to winning a World Cup. And the current buffoon in charge absolutely will not get them anywhere near as close. Um, so, and Dave, Dave, can I share a story too? When you're on about about Bobby, and yeah, I agree, Hudson's a buffoon, by the way. Uh, when John Barnes and, and, and those guys were in Belfast, uh, one of those five times events, John Barnes told an absolutely belting story. He was saying at the 90 World Cup, uh, at the time, players were starting to get sponsors with, with the boots. I think it was Peter Beardsley was sponsored by Deodora, and they'd wanted him to wear these boots in the game, and I think it was the Cameroon game. So they'd sent them out these boots. And obviously, as Barnes said, you know, you wanted to break in the boots, um, give them a bit of wear. Otherwise, they'd be painful. They wouldn't be right or whatever. Um, but but you didn't want to wear them because they'd be sore as well. So Bobby Robson had the same size feet as, uh, as Peter Beardsley. So Beardsley asked Bobby Robson for the training session because Bobby Robson was a real tracksuit, get out on the training ground, get the, get the boots on. So, so Beardsley says to, to Bobby, will you... We wear these, break these on. So Bobby says, yeah, no problem. So John Barnes says, you know, the guys are all training in a way and Steve McMahon's giggling away, going, what's wrong with him? And they looked over to the sideline and Bobby Robson's sort of like hopping about on his tiptoes, <laughs> you know, like a lunatic, like he's like he's stepping on hot, hot coals or something. And uh, the session ends anyway. And everybody's saying, what's up with him? Beardsley goes over and goes, what's, what's up with the boots? And he goes, they're unbelievably tight. They're, oh, they're, they're, they're just so uncomfortable. So Beardsley goes, really? So Bobby Robson takes off the boots and all the paper that you get <laughs> stuffed in there, football boot, <laughs> to keep the shape was still in the boot. So, <laughs> Bobby Robson had shoved all right, Bobby. Do you know all the old paper that was uh, crammed oh. into the boot? So Bobby had crammed his feet into the boots with all the paper. was an absolute agony and, and, and hopping about. Uh, but but Beardsley was like, "Cheers, Gaffer." He said they fitted like a glove then when he, when he went. <laughs> they were well stretched. When he, <laughs> they were really well stretched. But I thought it was it was a funny story, just typical old Bobby Robson. But yeah. sharp mind, great manager, one of the great. No, managers. Indeed, indeed. But back to another great manager, Jack Charlton, and the rock that <laughs> the, the Irish perished on in the form of the Italians. Well, what what are your thoughts on that one, Dave? Go ahead. <laughs> Oh, uh, it just robbed. We were robbed, Dave. We were. We robbed. were. We were. We like we we matched Italy, like stride for stride, tackle for tackle, shot for shot. They could not, you know, separate themselves from this ragtag bunch of lads who were, you know, just had, were getting by on team spirit, grit, and determination. Even though, like, don't get me wrong, the Irish squad that went to that World Cup was very strong, and um. You know, we'd we'd love to have a squad like that now with guys <laughs> like 
you know, like Paul McGrath, Ronnie Whelan, you know, young Steve Staunton, Kevin Moran, uh, John Aldridge, you know, Ray Houghton, Chris Hughes. Sheedy, John Sheridan, just a wonderful playmaker in midfield. We with such a strong squad, Packy obviously in goal as well. And like big, big Nile Quinn in goal as well. He was he was listed as your third goalkeeper. Do you know big that? Nile. Used to go on goals. Actually, that's that's a funny story actually about that Irish team. They used to do a penalty shootout at the end of every practice, uh, at the end of every training session. But Packy didn't like going in goals them. He because he, he was worried about injuring himself. So Quinn used to go and goal for the penalty shootout, and uh, he used to run a bet with them all. You had to take three penalties. If you could score all three, you won 20 quid. But if you missed one, as long as he saved, it didn't count if it went wide, you got to retake it. But if he saved one, you owed him 20 quid. And he came back from the World Cup up a couple of grand because he was just that good at it. Like, But when you look at that squad, and it's like names that we know because we're Irish and we've watched the Premier League and whatever... But like, t- just to list out a couple of the lads in the Italian squad: number two, Franco Baresi; number three, Giuseppe Bergami; number five, Ciro Ferrara; number seven, Paolo Maldini; number eight, Pietro Viecovod; number nine, Carlo Ancelotti. Uh, Giuseppe Giannini's in there. Baggio's in there. Mancini, Donadoni, Viali. Like their third choice keeper was Gianluca Pagliuca, who, you know, was became one of the, the greats. Our third choice keeper was Niall Quinn, who was a striker. <laughs> like, yeah. the goal it was a clever that, move. It was a clever it move was, by them. It was, and I remember a couple of years, like, I, was, I don't think it was the last World Cup. I think it was, it was the, the South African World Cup, and the North Koreans tried to be smart, and they named a striker as their third choice keeper. And FIFA just turned around and says, that's grand, but if he plays, you have to play him in goal, you can't play him anywhere else. But um, yeah, like we, we had no business matching the Italians on their home turf in Rome in front of probably 90% Italians, and we did. And unfortunately for Paki, after being the hero in, um, in Genoa in the previous round, it was his slip from an absolute belter of a shot from Donadoni um, he should. I, I. He said himself. I think he. He said himself a couple of times this day. He doesn't know why he didn't just punch it or palm it round the post. He tried to catch it. He slipped. He couldn't get back up in time. And I was mentioning players who became stars out of nowhere earlier on. And I thought I'd name them all. I didn't. Toto Scalacci, the yeah. as you said earlier, Dave, the bald man with the crazy, crazy eyes. Exactly. Um, <laughs> He wasn't and... fancied much. Uh, I have to say, he wasn't fancied much going into this tournament. It was Gianluca oh. Vialli's tournament. Yeah, and, Vialli, and, uh, and he was. They were playing together um, at club level. Vialli and Mancini. They were a brilliant partnership for Sampdoria. They were expected to be the two main strikers in this tournament, and all of a sudden, this guy appears out of nowhere. And uh, he only had, I think, one cap going into the World Cup, and he was just phenomenal throughout the tournament. No, and and, and and as I say, you know, nobody even, you know, it, it was the time before we knew about all these players, before Football Manager existed. You know what I mean? And Toto Scalacci, who's this? You know, he's number 19 coming on the pitch. You never heard of him. And, you know, he scored. He, he actually ended up replacing Viali in the team uh, as the tournament went on. And he didn't disappoint. But he didn't do a great deal after that. 
Dave, if I if I remember correctly, you know, he, he sort of international goal after that. He finished his international career um, with sixteen caps and seven goals, and the like six of his goals came in that tournament, and obviously most of his caps Unreal. did as well. Um, Unreal, but like, it's just it's crazy. Like, and even his club career, like he was at Juventus at the time of that World Cup. Um, twenty six goals in ninety games. Moved to Inter, was there for two years, and by ninety four was away off to Japan, like at, at the yeah, age I, of thirty. You know, he he seemed he seemed to just arrive from nowhere, and he fell yeah. off the face of the earth from nowhere. Yeah, yeah. it was strange. Like it, it was quite a surprise. Like reading back, obviously, and doing some research on the tournament before we did this today, it was a bit of a surprise that he did even make the squad. The only reason he actually made the squad is because he played in a friendly before the World Cup up front with Baggio um, against uh, Czechoslovakia, I think it was. No, sorry, it was against uh, Switzerland. And uh, they played really well together. And the manager thought, well, that's a partnership that I have now as well. If the if the Mancini Viali one for whatever reason doesn't work out, I have another partnership that I can turn to, um, and obviously Baggio it was the, the the superstar of that Italian team, and the goal he scored was against Czechoslovakia. It is the you know the, the goal big lob and the lob of the keeper. Oh, just dribbling past everybody. Yeah. Um, uh, well, uh, Scalati was to score like. Italy's last sort of meaningful goal, if you will, uh, in the tournament. You know, the third place playoff is is, is not really the competitive of uh, stages of it, and and Canisia scored for Argentina in the semi, and you know you, you've got Donadoni and Serena missing penalties for Italy in, in the in the shootout, and and their World Cup was over just like that, and they would sort of flat. I'd I'd really fancy them to go on and win it, but. Like and this Argentina team, you know, we've discussed it earlier on in this pod. They were no great shakes, but no. they just, you know, they just seem to get results for whatever reason. Whether it was a, the inspiration of Maradona, I don't, I, I, I can't, I can't put my finger on it. I just... They came together in in eighty six. A lot of them came back in ninety. I think losing to Cameroon was probably the best thing for them because I think it galvanised them because they got absolutely annihilated in their home press. And like basically written off at that point. And like. Hiring for your small business. If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals. You can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role in a given month. Over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. 
Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. It was only really the city of Naples that was embracing them because of Maradona. And I think it did. I think it just galvanized them. And, but as you said, like they completely flat. They were just, they weren't a good team at all. Um, and that Italy team, it's, it's one of the great tragedies that the likes of Baresi and Bergami and Baggio and Maldini don't have World Cup winners medals. Because oh, in, the absolutely. Case, in the case of and Baresi, think, Maldini is the two best defenders ever. You know? Yeah, best left back and best, best centre back of his type mm. ever. And I think as well, there was, there was, the Naples factor was massive, wasn't it? Because that semi um, that Argentina knocked them out on penalties, that was in Naples, wasn't it? In, um, yeah. And that was a real strange atmosphere. I mean, I don't think you'll ever have that again where a host nation in a semi-final had a lot of the, the crowd against them. Because obviously with Naples, they considered themselves, I suppose they'd be a wee bit like the, the Scousers. And the yeah. Scousers wouldn't call themselves English. The, the You know, in, in Naples there, they would not have, they, they, they didn't like to see themselves as, as fervent Italian nationalists. And, and they took the side of Diego, who was their hero, obviously, because he'd, he'd, he'd won them the league on his own. So it was, it was a strange one, and, and certainly a very unique one. And I, and I don't think you'll ever see that again, where you have such devotion to one man. But if ever a man was going to get devotion like that, it's, it's, it's Diego. Yeah, yeah and like, they were like... It's Diego. Well, yeah. So I was going to say, this, like the city of Naples, it all goes back to Mussolini, and the city of Naples yeah. was like a stronghold for the anti-Mussolini... Mussolini movement and obviously then as well you have like the mafiosa side of things and the the refusal to accept government sanctions the refusal to you know to even acknowledge that Italian law existed <laughs> and then this this rebel Argentine genius appears on their doorstep you know and, and Napoli were, were a nothing club at the time he arrives he catapults them to you know multiple Serie A titles wins them away for a couple a couple of years later but he really he embraced the city and everything. It is the 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 comparison with Liverpool, both the city and the club, is spot on. In that you know yeah. we embrace players who embrace the you know the city and the club. It's one of the reasons Didi Haman is so beloved and Dirk Coit and and Jan Molby, as you mentioned earlier on, because they just embrace the culture of the city. And uh, and you know maradona did that there and and that game the atmosphere was just so so bizarre and even watching it back now if if you can try and zone out the commentary and just listen to the the crowd it's so so strange yeah because and i think as well that north south thing with naples in the south as well they, they wouldn't have liked the big traditional rich northern clubs and obviously you would have had a lot of milan you would have had a lot of you, you know juventus players from turin there as well and uh, the crowd probably found it easier than you would think to go against their own country and shout for Diego rather than than the likes of Baresi and Maldini uh, and those guys. So, but it was certainly well, listen, let's, it was, it was strange. Listen, let's move on to the other semi because we're <laughs> time marches on on us, gents. Um, it was it ended one one uh, with an Andy Bremer goal and was equalised by Gary Lineker. And as usual with all England West Germany games, we had the, we had the gas <laughs> incident which we spoke about earlier. And you know when when England sort of go into penalty shootouts, it tends to always end in disaster. 
And disaster started with the most unlikely man, because if there was any man I would have put my house on to score a penalty, it would have been Stuart Pearce. Mm-hmm. But he missed. <laughs> and, 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 and so, it's, you know, at that time, that was unthinkable. Yeah. And it was, do you know what, Dave? I don't know if what, uh, what, what you or the, or the other guys think there, but for me, for, for everything, I thought that was the game of the tournament. I think it had everything. It had it had the drama. It was end to end. Um, it had two teams that genuinely, at that point, I think Dave said it earlier. You know, the winners of that were going to beat Argentina. Yeah, I've no, you have no doubts about that. It was, it was a brilliant game, and it was England's great chance. And it was, you know, it's the last time. Well, I suppose Euro '96. They, they, they did well there, didn't they? But it was the last until time they met the Germans. Until they met the Germans. But yeah. it was the last time in a World Cup that England really played to their potential. And it was the last time England genuinely had, from back to front, you know, absolute top drawer, world-class players. And, and they stood toe-to-toe with a very good West Germany team. Um, mm-hmm. but, it, but it was a cracking game. And I remember Waddle, the shot he hit that hit the, the inside of the post and came out. It really could have went either way. And um, I remember Lineker's goal, too, was just... And I agree one hundred percent with 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 what with, with what Dave said there about Rooney. I mean, you know, I, I, you'd have this debate with with Manchester United fans about Rooney, and he scored a heap of his goals against absolute no mark teams and pointless qualifiers. You know, when Roy Hodgson gets through a qualifying group with a hundred percent record, I think that tells you everything you you need to know about the <laughs> caliber of. Do you know what I mean? It tells you everything you need to know about the bloody caliber of European opposition at the minute. And Rooney's filled his boots with goals, but he's never done it in a tournament. And, but Lineker, he did it in '86 and in '90. His goal there was just, you know, if you want to see what Lineker is about, it was textbook. Defender made the slightest error. He shoved it on his knee, controlled it in one movement, left foot, um, and Lineker could finish brilliantly off either foot. Left foot, absolutely. I think, you know, the the German keeper didn't even move. He smashed it in. Um, But it was a brilliant game, and it was, yeah, either, you know, both teams, uh, it was one of them ones, it was neither deserved to lose, but it was a a cracking game of football. Um, And there was so I was going to say, like, it had, that game had everything, because it, it even like the German goal was a fluke. The yeah. free kick at line. Oh, Bremer hits it. Now God, like it could have gone anywhere. Maybe it would have gone in from the shot. But Paul Parker has obviously charged the ball to make the block. And he turns yeah. and it kind of flicks up off his calf. And literally the only place it could have landed that was going to beat <laughs> Shilton, because he was just that little yeah. bit off his line and it drops perfectly. And it's it's a, it was a sad one for Shilton as well because you know one of the great so goalkeepers and he, he he's pictured as this guy this old and he was old at the time I think he was like thirty nine maybe forty and he yeah, was he, was scrambling yeah, he retired he retired after the tournament yeah he and like it was unfortunate that you know again having looked back from from before we were doing this looking back at some of the press that they got afterwards and. Like you had journalists coming out and saying, "Oh, well, if Chris Woods had been in goal, he would have saved it." You know, because he was younger and more athletic and probably a better keeper than him. And maybe he was, but they're forgetting how how important a role Seaman played in getting them there. The the Belgium game, he made a number of crucial saves. He was fantastic against Cameroon. Um, like, and then he's just dismissed. And it's the real English thing of. Well, what's the last thing you did? Not not what did you do up to there? What what was the last thing you did? Lineker was the same, obviously, 
his last game for England, I think it was his last game, one of his last games anyway, the penalty against Brazil in the friendly, where he kind of just backpassed it to the goalkeeper and that would have put him level with Charlton. And too much gets focused on that and people forget how great these guys were. And like that, but that game had everything. It was like theatre. It was just the incredible drama, start to finish. Dave, Dave, do you remember the Chris Waddle penalty? You, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example if you haven't seen it. You know, Sergio Ramos missed a penalty. I think it was for Spain or Real Madrid yeah. uh, in the last couple of years. Now, you know, Chris Waddle's penalty made Sergio Ramos look like a near miss. The closest one I can think of is the Charlie Adam penalty for <laughs> Liverpool <laughs> against Cardiff. <laughs> We're still waiting um, on that ball to come down, David. Yeah, it's, it's, it comes it's down. possible that it and the Waddle penalty are still <laughs> circumnavigating the earth because, like, Waddle, Waddle must have, like, his run-up was so long. Like, he started running outside the D and he wellied it. <laughs> and it just <laughs> went up and up and up and up and up. And, like, th- those stadiums, like, they have that big running track around the back of it, you know? Like, in, in, in the Stadio Delalpi had the big running track. And, like, he cleared the running track. With ease? With ease? With, with, with absolute ease. Like, it was obviously like a chip shot. He, oh, it's arguably the worst penalty ever taken. Yeah. Well, that's not... And it's another one, Dave. People, oh, you think of Chris Waddle, the narrative, you always think of that penalty. Yeah. And you don't and people think forget this what guy a was a genius. His, his free kick, do you remember his free kick at Wembley yeah. that he did for Sheffield Wentz? That guy but, was, oh, he was an amazing player, Chris Waddle. Stuart oh. Pearce was quite lucky that, because that was going to be the defining moment of his England career as well, until he got the chance to, you know, rectify the damage it's against yeah. Spain. Yeah. And the out, like... That's that's one of my abiding memories of, of Euro 96, which is my favourite Euros competition, is that the out, just this outrush of emotion from him when he scored that penalty. Because yeah. he was known as psycho, but you know he never displayed any real emotion other than when yeah. he'd be screaming at referees or, or threatening to knife somebody. But like <laughs> he just this out, just this rush of emotion came out of him and he started screaming. It was real primal. And he, you know, he 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 since said like it was just the fact that people's memory of me in an England shirt was going wasn't going to be that penalty against Germany, and it it would have been, you know. And that's when you consider how many times. I mean, I'll just quickly look up. I just want to see how many times he actually played for England. But he was he was an in an England international for a long, long time, and he was he a really for good left Forest as well. Yeah. Oh, he was. He was an and seventy-eight caps. Yeah, he had an absolute caps. hammer of a left foot. He, yeah, he, he's one, he was one of the one of the best strikers of the ball I've ever seen. Stuart Pearce. I mean, mm. literally, if if he caught the ball full whack and your head got in the way, you you were probably getting decapitated. Uh, have you heard Pierce. the story about when Clough decided to sign him? No. no. So Clough, he was at Coventry, and uh, Clough and his wife were having their date night. So he brings her to Coventry to watch Stuart Pearce play. And about five minutes in, about five minutes in, this winger goes tearing down down the touchline. And Pearce comes out of nowhere, doesn't get anywhere near the ball, but literally puts your man over the siding and into the stand. And Clough <laughs> says to the wife, 
that's it, I've seen enough, we'll be signing him tomorrow. Except by the hand that just strolls yeah. out. Like it's in one of the Clough the one of the, the Clough autobiograph biographies. Um just a, a brilliant story. And like he he was he was a tremendous player. Um and you know, we, we mentioned how great a manager Bobby Robson was earlier and you know, him and Clough were the, the two last great England managers. Um, and it's a real shame yeah. that Clough never got to manage England because I think he could have done something special because um, he, right. he was a genius, an absolute genius. That's right. No, and, and, and you know something, I, I, Stuart Pearce is a player that I, I respect greatly. You know what I mean? I, I loved it. I loved watching him, uh, you know, right from the forest days the whole way through. And, you know, I felt for him that night because, as I, as I said, if there was a player that I would have put my house on to score that penalty, it would have been Stuart Pearce. You know, every penalty was a rocket. I would love to know that. I don't actually have it, but I would love to know how many penalties he missed in his career because I don't think there'd be too many, Dave. Would it be correct in that? I can't imagine so. I don't actually know the numbers myself, but I can't imagine there was very many. I think he'd missed one before that, and I'd struggle to think of many that he missed afterwards. But, like, you know, he was so respected in the game um, and there's a funny story, another funny story about him, where like Julian Dix was obviously the the Stuart Pearce pretender that came along, you know, at West Ham and whatever. And uh, West Ham were playing Forest in Forest in I think it was a cup game maybe, and the crowd were sh- were chanting at me, "You're just a sh- you're just a shit Stuart Pearce," and he was getting <laughs> properly properly riled up and properly riled up. And he flew into a tackle at, against one of the Forest players in, in the middle of the park. And he upended him. And next thing, Pierce comes across and lifts him up. And Dix, him, Dix just shot himself because he was just terrified of Pierce. Because he, there's a lot of guys in, in football who think they're hard men. Stuart Pierce actually was a hard man. Does it, like he, The guy broke his leg and wanted to continue playing when he was at West Ham. Exactly. He was just hard as nails. And I think I, I, I think that's where the psycho name came from, Dave. You know, as you, as you, you re- nail on head, like you know, this was a hard, hard man. Mm. I wouldn't want to manage him under twenty ones, but but he was a hard man. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> no others well, that, of course. Well, listen, uh, we'll move on. There was a dead rubber third match, our third place playoff game, Italy against England, which Italy prevailed two to one. And I think for for, for that game, we'll, we'll just have a few words on it. There was two teams that were, I think, the disappointment of the host nation and England coming so close against the Germans to getting in the final. And, and as we said earlier, the opportunity to win that World Cup with, against a weak um, Argentinian side, this game really never came to life. It never really showed anything uh, of, of what we saw in the tournament. It was just uh, two teams going through the motions. Yeah, Dave, absolutely. It was an anticlimax. That you could just sense, uh, I think, at that point, uh, <laughs> certainly for England, they just wanted to be on the on the plane <laughs> and home. Um, and I think for Italy, they'd felt, obviously, they'd let the whole nation down. They'd bottled it and blew their big chance. I, I don't. I, I remember watching that game, but I don't have any. I think the goals came. There was a couple of late goals, wasn't it? Was it, was it, was it 1-0 and then England? Was it Lineker again? And it was one each. And uh, Baggio after 70. Platt scored the England wow. goal in like the early eighties, and um, Scalacci with about three minutes left from a penalty. He won the game. Ah, there we yeah. go. Yeah, 
Right. Um, I'm glad he took the penalty because, correct me if I'm wrong, he, he won the golden boot in the back of that. Yeah. Um, six goals, yeah. I think it was, he scored in the tournament. Yeah, um, that, that right. gave him oh, a six, and Scaravi had five. Yeah. Um, so that, that was the one that pushed him over, yeah. And, you know, it, it, funny, and if you look down the list here, that's in front of me at the minute, Roger Mila had four goals in that World mm-hmm. Cup. You know, considering he was a 20-minute specialist at the end of games, uh, that stands out. You know, I know yeah. we've spoke about him, but that stands out for me more than any other. Because and he was 38 years of age, Dave. <laughs> we, we, well, we think at he least. was 38, <laughs> at least 38 years of age. 38 to 45. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I tell people, 38 to 45. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we went into the final then, and, and you know, I remember this final. And it was a case of how many Germany would win by, and in the end, they only won by one. And it took them 85 minutes to get it, and it took them to and, have a and penalty. A, and a dive by Rudy Voller to win a penalty. Exactly. I absolutely well, he, maintain to this day that Nestor Sincini got the ball cleanly, and Voller dived, and the referee bought it, because probably because he was so sickened by what the Argentinians had done to that point. Um, yeah. Like the Monzon. Monzon, obviously the first player ever to be sent off in a World Cup. Um, World Cup final, um, and then obviously the Zotti, I think his name was, got sent off a couple minutes after the goal. But I mean, the the the, the Monzon sending off, he'd only just come on as a sub about fifteen minutes beforehand, launches himself into a tackle against Klinsman, and I, I honestly think that if if they'd allowed him, Klinsman would probably still be rolling around to this day because the theatrics out of now it was a blatant. Like it was a clear red card, but he just threw himself into the air and began to pirouette like some kind of drunken swan, smacked into the probably did more damage landing and then rolled along and then bounced up once the red card was out. Just, and you know what, Dave? You know, you're right. You're right about it being. Uh, it was was never a foul. And actually, Bremer, who took the the great Andreas Bremer, what a player he was, two footed. Attacking fullback, yeah. he was some player, but he admitted he said afterwards it wasn't a foul. Yeah. Funny enough, he, he didn't say that before he walked up and stroked in the penalty. No, <laughs> but when he had his World Cup but, winners medal in his pocket, he said, "Yeah, it wasn't a foul." So, pretty, you know, there was a lot of sim- similarities right. between between Bremer and and Stuart Pearson in many ways. You know, for for the set pieces and the penalties. Yeah. you know, he was a he was a fantastic striker of the ball and a dead ball. Yeah, yeah, yeah tremendous, and, and as like as John said, like he he was, you know, two footed, naturally right footed, but played left back his entire career, and was just lethal. One of his great strengths was that he could cut inside and just unleash shots from anywhere, really. Oh and, yeah, uh, a great right foot, yeah. tremendous player. Yeah. But I mean, uh, him, him, and Maldini, Dave. Um... Two decent fullbacks, weren't they? <laughs> yeah, two, two decent left backs. They were all right. Primarily right footed players. That's the thing. For me, like the three best left backs I think I've ever seen. Well, see, I don't count Roberto Carlos as a left back because he couldn't defend. But he was obviously <laughs> yeah. a special, special player. But the yeah. three best left, left backs. Either. Yeah, exactly. Like a free roll on the left, basically. Yeah. But like Maldini, Brema, and Dennis Irwin are the three best left-backs I've ever seen. And all of them were right-footed. Is Lee Dixon not in there, Dave? No? 
Lee Dixon's right back. <laughs> Did he not play left back? Oh, no, Winterburn was the left Nigel back. Nigel Winterburn. Nigel Winterburn. Big, big night. I always remember that back four, and I always get those two positions mixed up between yeah, those that, two. Yeah, that back four was special. But I mean, I'm just, I'm literally sitting here and I'm looking at that Germany, like looking at the Argentine squad, and like Ruggeri, Sensini, Maradona, Burachaga, and that's it. Oh, and a- a- Abel Balbo, who became a good striker for Roma a couple of years later. That's literally the only notable names in their squad, and like to look at the, obviously they were missing Kanija was was out for that game and he was either injured or suspended but like the Argentines are the the German squad Bodo Wildner great keeper three centre backs Agenthaler Buchwald and Jurgen Koller who one of the greats like just that's tremendous like strength then you've got Bertholz and Brehm as your wing backs a midfield of Matthias Thomas Hassler and Pierre Lichbarski which might be one of the greatest midfields of all time, and then Voller and Klinsman up front. And if things aren't Mamish, going right... Managed by Beckenbar as well, that's it. Yeah, and if uh, things aren't forget. going right, you've got Stefan Reuter, Olaf Thone, tremendous moustache Olaf Thone, and Karl-Heinz <laughs> Riedler, Liverpool legend. Um, and as you say, managed by managed by Beckenbar. And obviously, the Argies were managed by Bilardo, who, you know, a, a, another legend of the game. Yeah. But that German team and even the squad, like, just incredible strength and depth. And as we said earlier on, it was just the West Germans that, like, Andy Muller, who became one of the best players in the world, couldn't even get on the bench for the final. Exactly. uh, And and I'll tell you another thing, and this this is something stupid, but you see that shirt they wore in that that tournament? I don't think I've ever ever seen a nicer football shirt than that. Uh, It was absolute class. Yeah. Yeah. And like, because so many people have a negative view of this, and I was saying this to you guys before we started recording, I think the reason for that is because Ireland and England came through the really drab group where it was just all draws to any game that a team won was when England beat Egypt. And then obviously Ireland drew against Romania and then lost. I mean, Ireland got to the quarterfinals of that World Cup and didn't win a game. You know, it's it's mad. You, you, it couldn't happen now. Like, And England obviously, you know, struggled a little bit through the group, struggled against Belgium, struggled against uh, Cameroon. And then when they finally had found their stride, went out against the Germans and then lost to Italy. And I think both countries, for different reasons, just kind of look at it like we Ireland look at it like it was great because it was our first one there, but we didn't win any games and we went out to you know a crappy goal. And England never fully kind of unleashed the potential they had in that squad. I think that's why people have negative kind of thoughts about this World Cup. But I would struggle to name a better starting eleven who've won a World Cup in the last. I'd go back to, you know, probably into the 70s than that German 11. Even the Spanish team who won in, won like in 2010, I'm not sure their team is better than that team. Well, you'd have to go back to some of the great Brazilian teams. and yeah. I think you need to go that far back to find something on a par with that. That West Germany team was sincere. But you, you know, you know what you get with the Germans. They always arrive strong. But this one, I think... Maybe maybe the best German team I ever saw. Yeah, yeah. They were just... And so well coached, so well prepared. Literally, you know, just top, top class players in every single area. 
and like leaders across the pitch as well. Like, and the thing is, like Klinsman and, and Matthias hated each other, hated each other, wouldn't speak to each other, but they played together as if they were brothers who'd grown up playing together. You know, they just had this natural chemistry. They just didn't fit well off the pitch, but they they managed to just come together, and it just worked so perfectly for that whole squad. You know, just oh, ridiculous. And Thomas Hassler is. We're not, you know, my sneaky all-time favorite midfield player. Not as good as obviously many that we've seen, but just he was a, a genius with the ball at his feet. Yeah, and I think no, it wasn't. I think the consensus would have been too at the end of the tournament. Scalacci obviously had his goals, but Matthias was seen by many, wasn't he, as the the player of the player of the, the tournament? And and what a, what a just what a player. He was, you know, he was just a real force running with the ball. He was a real box-to-box midfielder with a brilliant shot on him. And he was just, he was the leader, wasn't he, of that team? He set the tone in that German team. He was the man who would, he would drop and pick the ball up off the off Kohler at the back and get things going for them. And then when they needed that bit of a spurt, I remember one of the goals uh, he scored against Yugoslavia in the group stages where he just, you know, he came through and he just smashed one from about 20, 25 yards into the bottom corner. He was, he, he was a great, you know, he was, he, he was a great leader, great captain, Matthias. Yeah. Just well, listen, with, with that, West Germany won the 1990 World Cup. And, and really, gents, time, I think we're going We finally got there. <laughs> <laughs> we finally got there Jesus. after like two hours. Uh, we might have to release this as a, as a double header, maybe. Uh, I'm not Sorry, sure. Sorry, Armando. <laughs> Armando, actually, Armando had to actually leave us. <laughs> We've gone on so long, it's just the three of us left. Uh, we had another engagement there, so he had, he had to actually go. But listen, guys, I know you're going to come back, both of you, and, and talk about the, the next World Cup, which is the 94 one. We're, we're not going to do them in any, any kind of order, so we'll arrange that with you uh, as yeah. we go. And, ju- and just before we go tonight, is there anything you want to plug? Uh, and, and please be brief. <laughs> Dave, go ahead. Um, the, the one player I forgot to mention for this World Cup who <laughs> kind of goes. broke through and became a star was Robert Prozanecki, who, oh, yes. a- again, is one of those players that I absolutely adore, never fulfilled his potential. potential. A bit like the kind of the Balkan Gaza, really, in terms of... You know, similar skill set, similar styles, similar bodies, similar issues. Um, but yeah, so to plug stuff, the happy hour um, on the Anfield Index. Obviously, I just recorded, as I said earlier, uh, the AI Movie Night podcast with Joe and Carl Kopak. We did Goodfellas. That should be was out that, at the end of the week. Was, was that Joe Pesci? You don't know. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um I, out today is the On The Box podcast, uh, myself, Simon Brundish and Neil Devlin talking about Aaron Sorkin. Um, All In Sports Talk is my show with Steve Gennaro. That's released every Thursday, allinsportstalk.com and at All In Sports Talk on Twitter. Follow us there and check out the podcasts. Thank you. Uh, you're busier than I am. <laughs> I'm not saying something. John, yourself, what have, you, what have you got on at the minute? Anything? Well, I've done the... We just recorded the writers' pod. That was uh, we had uh, Nina uh, and Neil and, uh, and Tim Johnson um, earlier, so that that will be coming out in the next couple of days. So give that a wee listen. Um, I do have another article uh, coming out, which is trying to look 
trying to curtail the current wave of enthusiasm around Liverpool, um, around Klopp and expectations and hopes for the for the rest of the season as well. But that that will hopefully be out before the before the weekend. Uh, but nothing else so, so on that day. So, so your previous article was a chest beating article, and now you're telling us to calm down. Come on, we're not having that. Yeah, I, I, I've had to, I've had to take stock, Dave. I'm, 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 I'm watching everyone around me go mental, and I'm thinking somebody has to, somebody has to step in here and say that we're not going to win the travel just yet. It might be next season, you know. <laughs> I, 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 I tried writing that article actually, and I, I ended up saying that a bitter old bastard by the end of it, and then thankfully Gary Neville did it for me, so, so it saved me a lot of hassle. But listen, guys, you've been fantastic on the show. As I say, Armando, thank you. He had, he had to step out, and sadly, uh, we had another engagement, and we've just talked. That's what you get when you put three Irish boys in a pod. You end up with a two-hour pod. But listen, for me, we, I, I want to plug the pod that we did previous to this. As I say, these, these are timeless pods that, you, you know, you can listen to at any point. We had Tim Vickery on, and we covered the 1958 World Cup. The content on that is, is, is second to none. Um, the guy is just a genius, um, and, and he's a joy to listen to. Uh, so if you want to you want to check that out, maybe after you've listened to this, you're very welcome to do so. But from me and from everybody here, I'd just like to say thank you again to the panel. You've been awesome. Talking machines, awesome. Uh, and from me and Peter, it's good night. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.